All right, I'm back with the Black Woman's Guide to Understanding the Black Man. This is Chapter 6, Employment, and this is Part 5. That's right. It seems that the black man is very perturbed about another nationality moving in and taking money they intended to continue spending with the white man. The agents have disproved many of the black man's theories and excuses he uses to explain why he cannot grasp an economic foothold. Often when other black men open a store comparable to their white business owner colleagues, they find that black will not patronize them. They blame their lack of customership or poor service, no credit policies, expensive markups on products, slack business hours, inferior quality of food stuff, and bad attitudes by cashiers or help. The Caucasians and the Asians support each other while they work the kinks out. They welcome people of their own nationality into business and offer advice, financial support for free labor to help them get on their feet. No business is a fail-safe on the first day or doing the first few years. Having an ideal is one thing. Executing an ideal is another. There are three questions that the black men should ask the Asians. Where do they get their food from since they rarely shop? in the white man's supermarket? Where do they get their clothes from since they do not shop in the white man's clothing stores? How and what rules do they follow that enable them to live so closely together in the same house without fighting or killing one another every Friday and Saturday night? The answers to these questions might shed some light on some very pressing barriers that the black man encounters when he tries to figure out how to be independent of the white man. The black man lends credit credence to the to the premise once a slave always a slave because he does not appear either capable of acquiring the skills or drumming up enough unity of purpose or support from his brothers to get off the bottom rung of the ladder so far no leader no plan no government support or education has been acceptable to the black man to inspire him to change his own condition his refusal to do anything for himself in a way of supplying his own needs is a part of the reason he has lost his woman and children, because they have to go to Europeans for all their needs. This keeps the black man from being in position of power and authority over his family, because they go to the same people to fill their needs, uh, be they food, clothing, shelter, or employment. So he has no control of any sustenance he needs for life. This makes every other man appear greater and more powerful and ultimately more respected. The black man is also frustrated because of the stigma attached to receiving welfare from the government. He knows that many of his women are on welfare and supporting his children from it, but he feels so violated and cheated out of his birthright that he has not been able to decline reparations of any kind and begs for more. The only reparations he has received comes in the form of welfare, food stamps, Medicaid, health coverage, WIC, Section 8, disability, affirmative action, and workmen's comp compensation checks. It seems that black women and children look at the black man for financial solutions and he looks to the white man. This is not a secure or comfortable cycle. Welfare is just a form of economic subsidy. When major corporations receive welfare, they describe it as low interest loans, agricultural assistance, assistance tax expenditures, accelerated deprecation, deferral of capital gains, business and property tax refunds, and interest-free carrying charges on public purpose, state, and local debt. Boy, I wish I could talk there. Because that is, is that informative or what? Look into it. Get some education.
look things up. Is that what welfare really is? Hmm. Boy. <laughs> Woo. All of these are form, uh, forms of welfare subsidy. They give money of some, loan money to others, and save money for the rest. So the entire American parliamentary effort is entrenched in welfare fraud in one way or the other. The black man must decide to stop rambling in the tax pockets of other races. They must learn to work among themselves based on the other collective need to prove to themselves that they can. He cannot regain the amount of dignity he has stripped of 400 years ago. But if they start now to practice that conformity and cooperation with each other, they can make it without welfare of any kind. Many times his lack of strength is brought on by anxiety, which leaves him unable to move his physical body into action. The resulting depression entrenches him in a mentally catonic state. He is not motivated because he is uninspired. He won't even consider this as a subject. The black man has had difficult had a difficult time trying to revive his fractured ego strictly by self propulsion. He continues to search for a way or sign that informs him that he is authentic for real. A few decades ago, if a black man accomplished any kind of startling or unusual advancement, he was routinely offered a left-hand compliment and told, you're, credit, you're a credit to your race. Many black men were told this and took pride in being reminded that he was superior to the rest of his people and never considered that he was never told how many credits he needed to matriculate and receive validation of his self-worth. It was a subtle implication that he was lacking in something and needed credits to help him keep score of his progress toward getting it. His capabilities have always been in doubt, and his masses historical accomplishment approached with suspicion by other nationalities when European explorers pillaged through Africa in search of precious stones and glistening metals. They often uncovered spectacular artifacts such as statues, urns, jewelry, furnishing drawings, weapons, or masks. They were quite quick in suggesting that if that it was impossible for ancient African citizens to have created such modern, beautiful items, and, and that obviously another European has preceded them to the area and designed such artifacts themselves. If they chose to, they could print such fraudulent information in their journals. African Black men always discovered progressive techniques to fill their specific needs and specialize in skilled craftsmanship and automatic made it manufacturing. They devised many checks and balance systems as a way to stack on tracks of their goals. The black man's ancestors took enormous prestige in their business and trade practices because he knew he was born to work and born to have many wives and sire many children. The black man was guided out of receiving credit for many of his of his historic artifact contributions up until 1910. After then, it was impossible to deny it. For several years now, there was there has existed black men who are grassroots entrepreneurs who travel around the country frequenting conventions, art shows, outdoor festivals, and other densely populated areas displaying product and rares. These black men are referred to as street vendors or just vendors. They are black men who decided to forge ahead and experiment with working for themselves and being their own boss. They mostly travel in cars or vans, trucks or buses, and offer body oils, incense, artwork, clothes, hats, shoes, expertly 
handcraft leather goods, designer quality handcraft jewelry, records, African flavor, records, African flavored fabrics, t-shirts, dolls, books, tapes, records, buttons, hair products, cosmetics, foodstuffs, and all sorts of ethnic goods. They have to cope with bad weather, poor sales, licensing taxes, heavy baggage, long hours, theft, and the fluctuating cost of boot space. But on the other hand, they enjoy the excitement of travel, catering to an ever-changing customer base, the thrill of motion, meeting new people, networking, participating in trade and commerce, making money seven days a week, the pleasure of not being confined to an hourly wage, freedom to take off when they get ready, the opportunity to learn wholesale buying and calculations of retail markup, the, com com the comradeship of other black men vendors, the ability to provide jobs, learn investing, and gain some self-respect through the ownership and recon recognition in the national marketplace. Black men vendors complain that when black patronize them, they demand special deals and haggle about prices and try to negotiate for a lower cost. They say this started out to be an interesting and similar to the marketplace excitement in the homeland. But they say now that haggling has become negative, consistent of outright demands for a cheaper price or a threat to shop elsewhere. Black men vendors say this is unfair to them as businesses because <clears throat> Blacks would not think of shopping at a major white-owned and operated establishment and asking for a few dollars off the stated price. Unless there's a sale, they pay the price mark and get the receipt and leave the store smiling. Black men vendors say this puts them in a uh, precarious position because they are often forced to reduce their products to a non-profit price in order to do business with their own kind. They say they are trying to make a living like any other man in business and offer their rares or fair prices for their special interest consumer markets, but they can't afford to give their inventory away at wholesale prices to retail customers. They say Blacks treat them like they are trying to rip off the public or something. Black men vendors say they are equally disturbed that the Black organizations offer them boot space at their conventions and meetings and charge them hefty fees, sometimes up to $1,000 or more, but making no plans or efforts to direct their conventioners to their vending stands usually located in the same building or close proximity proximity to their conferences. They charge the host of their conventions with allowing the hotels to offer their attendees free bus trips to white shopping malls or trade centers to ignore their presence. They say they believe that the organizers of their conventions are obligated to make sure they receive enough exposure in their literature and by signs and advertising to make sure they earn a profit on their boot space investment. The organization charges them for the space and the hotels charge them for the tables, chairs, lighting, ashtrays, and other display items they may need. They also have their travel costs, food, lodging, inventory, and other regular expenses attached to their roving lifestyle. So they want more accountability and cooperation from the black organizations who solicit their money for boot space to add an extra flair of activity to their conventions. These are not unreasonable requests. Black men vendors regrettably report they have high occurrence of shoplifting stealing from their display tables, mostly by other Blacks. The Black man overriding problem is that he has made his main challenge in life to be trying to win acceptance and approval from whites. His major goal in life is to prove to white people that he is just as good as they are 
and deserving to having what they have. These are harsh realities that he will deny to his dying day, which according to government statistics is not too far off if he keeps behaving like he is now. He acts like his only obstacle in life is to convince whites to accept him as an equal, and he has the delusional idea that anything he tries to do, which is not sanctioned or endorsed by the government, will fail miserably. He wants their blessing, he wants their jobs, and he wants their women. Oh, he may talk freely about their natural equality of all mankind, but he sees the white man as Mount Everest, the biggest stumbling block he has ever known of, and he feels like a mole hill digging around at the bottom. When he works on one of their jobs, no matter how much he earns, he knows he hates having to jump to work every time the boss walks in, and he detests having to speak extra nicely to the boss to the big boss of the company every time he encounters him or her. He deplores the fact that if his boss or supervisor shows up, he acts he has to act like he's busy, even if there's nothing to do. He can't even report that his job doesn't keep him busy enough because he is afraid he will be required to do more work for the same salary. He is trying to do as little as possible and uses up a lot of his concentration powers trying to figure out how to work slower or get out of doing certain tasks on this job. He only feels this way because it's not his job. He is a guest employee when he works on a job created, owned, and operated by another nationality. When a man works for himself, he is always willing to go the extra mile, so he gets more done and ultimately makes more money. The black man acts like he has been hypnotized into being an employee instead of an employer. Black men do not want to pay child support, supplying money to pay for what they consider unnecessarily need, unnecessary needs for their children, especially if they have more than one, is not a priority to them. They take no special pride in knowing that they are supporting their own seed. In fact, if there is any way they can get out of doing anything for their children, they will do so. These days, the courts have new rulings to track them down, garnish their wages, take it out of their tax refund refunds, arrest them, put liens on their car property to make them finance the lives of children they created with their own sperm and blood. If he and the child's mother do not have an active ongoing relationship, it is rare that he will support his baby on his own. His attitude is that the federal or state welfare a food subsidy availability lets him off the hook. He would rather see his woman on welfare or wait and see if her new man will assume responsibility for his babies. He thinks that by paying child support that he is doing the baby's mother a favor or letting her rule him in some way. He doesn't realize that he should be ashamed to have the white man haul him into court because he refuses to take care of his baby. He is detached mentally from his seed and his content to, content to let the government, he is content to let the government be the providing father for his children. Sometimes he gets with another woman and does more for her children than he does for his own. He behaves as if there is some magic wand that a black mother can wave to provide for her children without his help. What is to happen when the welfare and food stamp budget runs out? What is to take care of his children then? And where are the black fathers who sired almost 500,000 non-white children rotten in orphanage, orphanages. And how can a black man consider himself sane and go about his daily life so happy-go-lucky, dressing in the finest clothes and driving the best cars while denying his seed, time, and money? Okay, that ends chapter six. Um, what y'all think about that? 
I'm just going to say one thing and get off because we have 15 minutes. But when I sent out these emails to the women of Get Your Life in 90, one of the sisters said, girl, you said a word. I accidentally read the last part, the, the last part first, the last few pages first, because I send the the uh no the last chap yeah the last few pages of chapter six first um and she said wow and I just think about it as I just reread it that that's what she was talking about what something that she's going through in her life and she's going through court proceedings and it's just so much and it don't even make sense. <laughs> I would have to let her do a podcast to talk about it, but we're going to have to wait till a whole bunch of stuff keep down. She may even do a, a comedy show about it. I think it would be real good to turn it into that because we need to hear it. It definitely is some knowledge that we need to hear, sisters. And you brothers need to hear it too. 